The companies that focus on teamwork and collaboration are the companies who maximize the strengths of individuals as well. Today, we are talking about teams and what leaders can do to transform them to be more positive and powerful. Welcome to the 90th Percentile, an unconventional leadership podcast by Zenger Folkman. Each week, using research from over 1.5 million global assessments of leaders, we analyze different leadership traits, trends, and what it really takes for leaders to get to the 90th percentile. I'm your host, Brianna Corin, and with me today is renowned psychometrician and my father, Joe Folkman. Most of us have been part of a great team, a team where we loved coming to work, where we felt like we were lucky to be part of that group. Perhaps you've been part of a different kind of team. We call it the team from hell, a group where it was hard to belong, where it was constant conflict and competition and bickering. No doubt you hated spending time in that team. The issue here is that you know the difference. Great teams energize you. A team from hell sucks all of the energy and enthusiasm out of you. Well, today, we'll be diving into the data behind building powerful teams. But in order to truly teach our listeners the power of great teamwork, we need to share a story about our family dog, Kessler. Well, one of my children came to me at Christmas. It wasn't me this time. <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> he asked me if we could get a dog. Now, this wasn't a new request. I'd heard that request over the years. Uh, for many children. Yeah. My excuse was my wife and several of my children had asthma, and they all had negative reactions to dogs. Uh, this is true. I am one of them. However, this time my son came prepared to make an offer that I could not refuse. The first part of the offer was my son's commitment to improve all aspects of his behavior. Yeah, I'd heard that before. <laughs> the second part of the offer was something new. He was interested in a Siberian Husky puppy. Now, Siberian Huskies are outdoor dogs. And since this is a breed that is used to the cold and they love the snow, this dog could stay outside. This would be a way for us to have a dog without affecting anyone's asthma. We talked about it and discussed and bargained for a long time. And finally, I caved. We became dog owners. Yeah, were you actually excited about having a dog? Well, I thought that owning a dog, I imagined it. And I imagined us going on walks together and going to the park and throwing the Frisbee. And I imagined him sitting in my front room watching the TV. Well, And then, and then that dog finally arrived <laughs> and you learned something else. Yeah, it was different than I thought. It was a beautiful puppy. He grew quickly and I began to take him on walks, but it wasn't what I imagined. Instead of loping by my side, Kessler persisted in dragging me to, into my neighbor's yard. And I had a friend who wanted a jogging partner once, and I convinced her to take Kessler. I said it'd be perfect. They went once, never again. <laughs> it doesn't surprise me at all. I remember he was such an escape artist, and we chased after him so many times. He always figured out how to get out of the backyard. I was beginning to think he didn't like us. As we approached another Christmas season, our good friend, Racer, who had five Huskies, talked to us about putting Kessler in his dog sled team. We wanted to warn him of Kessler might not be the best choice for his team, but 
Kessler needed exercise, and I did not want to take him for any more walks, so we obliged. After a few months of training, Racer invited us to go on a dog sled ride to see Kessler in action. I remember. It's so hard to describe the dogs. They got so excited about being harnessed and tied to the sleigh. I remember being pulled by horses on a wagon. And for them, it was obviously work. But the level of excitement was totally different for these dogs. Totally. (laughs) Yeah. The dogs took off and I wasn't prepared for the jolt. As they began running, it was almost like the jerk of a fast car. As we rode, I stared in amazement at my dumb dog. There he was (laughs) between the two lead dogs. And the dog I could never control was working in perfect unison with the other dogs on the team. He listened, he pulled, he enjoyed working together with his team. These dogs can pull a sled for 20 miles and they love their job. They love being part of a team. I remember watching and feeling how magical that moment was. And afterward, you came to me and said, Brianne, I hope this is something you can remember that if you just put someone in the right spot with the right team, it's amazing who they can become, just like our little furball. Well, I want to invite our listeners to think back on their career and consider these questions. Have you ever been part of a great team, a team that utilized your individual strengths and caused your performance to improve, a team where your productivity increased just to keep up with the other members of the team, a team where you love coming to work and every day was an exciting adventure. In contrast, have you ever been part of the team from hell? This is a team where nobody wants to be part of and is full of conflict, disagreements, and discontent. Most people know and have experienced the difference, and the contrast is huge. Zenger Folkman did a study where we looked at the ability of a leader to create a positive team environment, an environment where everyone wanted to belong to pitch in and engage, we looked at data from 276 leaders in a large software company and measured the extent to which team members felt that their group was highly productive and efficient. The best leaders, those who knew how to create that positive engagement environment, had productivity ratings at the 80th percentile. The worst leaders were at the 29th percentile. I said once, but I'll say it again, just like Kessler, you will never recognize an employee's full potential until they're placed in the right area with the right people. It is the responsibility and and the opportunity of all leaders to cultivate a collaborative environment in which team members can flourish. So, Joe, since it is the leader's responsibility, what can they do to help their teams have higher performance? Well, from our data set, we had more than 66,000 respondents, and we asked team members to rate a series of leadership behaviors and also rate their satisfaction, engagement, and commitment. We factor analyzed the results and discovered five key dimensions that were essential to high-performing teams. The first behavior was team leaders inspire more than they drive or push. High-performance teams are more pull than push. Leaders in high-performance teams know how to create energy and enthusiasm in the team. Team members feel inspired. They are on a mission that they are doing something of great importance. Number two was team leaders resolve conflicts and increase cooperation. This is one of those seemingly obvious things, yet 
we would probably all be shocked by the amount of leaders who don't address conflict and just figure when I come back to work tomorrow, it'll magically go away <laughs> and, and it won't. You wrote in your article on this, you said conflicts can tear teams apart and leaders need to do the dirty work and help resolve differences quickly and promote cooperation. In high-performance teams, differences are addressed quickly and directly, and this requires a level of maturity in team leaders. When people believe that they are trusted and others have their back, disputes can be resolved. Team leaders that focus on competition versus cooperation never achieve outstanding results. Number three is team leaders set stretch goals. Leaders who know how to set stretch goals create an internal drive in the team to accomplish the impossible. People don't really want to come to work to do something that you know they could anybody could accomplish. They want to do something extraordinary. And when they accomplish something that's extraordinary, they recognize that they personally are capable and competent. Doing something out of the ordinary helps people recognize that they are exceptional and their satisfaction with work and their engagement, well, and their pride all go up. Number four, team leaders communicate, communicate, communicate the vision and direction. Don't fight it. Just be the broken record and help team members to be focused on the vision. High-performance team leaders stay on the message. They constantly communicate and keep people focused on the vision and mission to accomplish. I laughed a lot when I read the part in the article where you said, it's easy for anyone to get distracted or miss a turn. Shiny objects are all around us, and sometimes team members get diverted from their mission. And it's so true. I'm um, I'm more of an artistic person, so shiny objects for me, are um, when I'm creating images for a campaign and I totally get distracted about like what the actual purpose is. So what about you, Dad? What are, <laughs> what are your shiny objects? Do you just dig into the statistics and get lost in the numbers? <laughs> uh, you know me, Bree. That's <laughs> what I do. I love to find something interesting in the data. The point is that high-performing team leaders keep people informed, up-to-date, and on track. The last dimension was that high performance team leaders are trusted. Now, if a team leader is not trusted, they cannot be inspiring. Uh, they can't resolve conflicts, get the team to embrace stretch goals, or nobody believes their communications. The lack of trust slows down everything. We've found that there are three basic pillars to trust. The first pillar of trust is relationships. We trust people we like. We trust our friends and we distrust our enemies. Building a positive relationship increases trust. The second pillar of trust is knowledge or expertise. We trust people who have the right answers, who can provide insight. We trust people when they can solve problems. People who use their knowledge and skills to help others solve problems, they become more trusted. The third pillar of trust is consistency. When you say you will do something and when you do it, people trust you. Being more consistent and walking your talk makes you a person who can be trusted. Having worked with both high-performance teams and teams from hell, I know the difference is huge. Life is not good when you're in the team from hell. That experience can infect all parts of life in a very negative way. 
Life is good when you're on a high performance team. We all deserve to be part of a high performance team. Agreed. If you would like to see some adorable pictures of our dog Kessler and our epic dog sled ride, check out the article on our podcast page. And while you're there, you can download the full article so you can refer back to these tips on building high performance teams. The 90th Percentile, an unconventional leadership podcast, was written and recorded by Brianna Corin and Joe Folkman and produced by Zenger Folkman. If you're interested in learning more about Zenger Folkman's award-winning 360 assessments, leadership, and coaching offerings, or would like to attend our monthly leadership webinar series hosted by Jack Zenger and Joe Folkman, visit our website at zengerfolkman.com. If you like our podcast, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, and leave us a review. All resources and links to the research referenced in this episode can be found in the episode details or on our podcast page on sangerfolkman.com.